0: Evening, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. This is Irene Watson, I'm Managing Editor of Reader Views in Austin, Texas.
1: And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's March 8th, 2007, and welcome to episode number 58 in our series. Tonight's topic is writing and publishing gay and lesbian-themed books, and our special guests will be joining us this hour is Victor Banis. His site is vjbanis.com. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Please send your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now tonight we're on the line with Victor J. Banis, the critically acclaimed author of more than 150 published books and numerous shorter pieces both gay and straight oriented in almost every genre fiction and nonfiction, humor, mystery, romance, fantasy, science fiction, and even recently a cookbook. Now, before I begin, I'd like to apologize for our even less than mediocre quality on this recording. We are looking at new technologies, and the recording does get better as the show goes on. So please stay tuned and thanks for listening.
2: Good evening. I I wrote as a kid. I started writing professionally in 1963, and I I don't have everything. I have on my bookshelf about 140, so I'm guessing probably 150 plus altogether.
0: My goodness. And are these now, so were you writing uh, Gay at the time, or what were you writing? (laughs)
2: Well, in high school, I had a crush on a girl in school, and I started writing Nancy Drew mystery stories with her as the Nancy Drew character. But I didn't really even think about publishing till uh, I w- for several years. And, and in 1963, I, I think it was, I went into a paperback bookstore. Now, this was, was a new thing in 1963. You didn't previously have paperback bookstores. Paperbacks usually, and bookstores were mostly police lesbian oriented books and i thought well i could do this and so i just on a whim i bought i went home i read them and i wrote a book called affairs of gloria a novel but it had a couple of very tepid lesbian scenes in it and um, it was published and it also was indicted i was indicted on <laughs> conspiracy to distribute obscenity charges and i spent several months in a, in a federal obscenity trial in sioux city iowa uh, and um, I probably wouldn't have done anything more. I was just looking down on gay and lesbian fiction, And uh, but I was just determined I was going to do this, and I wrote a book called The Why Not and sent it to a new then-new publisher in San Diego, Greenleaf Classics, and they published it. And uh, so then I became this gay hey, uh, cult figure.
0: <laughs> wow. So how difficult was it really to... You know what you're saying is like the government was against the publication, but yet obviously you found a publisher to go ahead and publish that for you. How hard was it to find this publisher?
2: Well, I I actually sent that manuscript all over the world. I could have papered the entire house with rejections. With, with. Uh, uh, in 1963, two Fresno publishers. Um, Stanford A. Day and Wallace D. Ortega Maxi were sentenced to 25 years in prison for uh, publishing a line of books uh, that included some uh, positive uh, gay novels. And so there was this definite chill. Nobody really wanted to do uh, gay novels. And there was a general idea of uh, who's going to buy them. There was no awareness that there really was a large uh, audience there. But I happened to... This manuscript happened to reach uh, the death of a man named Earl Kemp, and he didn't even finish reading the manuscript. He liked it, and and he was kind of determined he was going to push doors open. This was the beginning of the uh, fight for a freedom of speech in publishing, and and so he published it. And then followed that up with, I I wrote a book called The Man from Camp, which was a spoof of the, the spy genre, James Bond, The Man from U.N.C.L.E., but it was different in that gay novels up to then almost always had tragic endings. Either the, the protagonist got was, died in the end or was cured and turned heterosexual. But my protagonist, Jackie Holmes, was probably the first protagonist in a, in a novel who was openly gay and proud of it, and the books had happy endings. They were funny. Mm-hmm. And again, Earl Kent, I don't think he had any idea how different this was that he published it, and that book caused quite a sensation and so really open doors for our gay writers. Uh, I, I, historically, they kind of credit the Why Not of the Man from Camp from launching the gay publishing revolution that occurred in the 60s.
0: So, you must have been one of the sole authors that actually was writing that type of uh,
2: work. At well, time. I was. Uh, there, were, uh, there were probably up to that, those books came out in 1966. Up till then, there were probably a couple dozen. Uh, genuinely gay novels, and uh, again, they were mostly of that sad young man school of, of writing, uh, but uh, this really kind of, of, of opened the door, and then for several years, I trained uh, other writers and, and acted as a de facto agent for a number of writers. There was a joke going around uh, at one time that, that the gay publishing revolution had happened in my kitchen, around my kitchen table, and to a great extent it was true. So I became this cult figure in gay publishing, uh, gay writers today. Uh, Interestingly enough, I I got out of gay writing in the early 70s, didn't get back into it again until just a few years ago, and the bulk of my writing career was writing straight fiction. But It's in gay publishing that that I'm known, and gay writers regularly email me and send me letters and thank me and blah, blah, blah kind of nice thing that cults like you in your old age
3: yeah you know i was just reflecting earlier today i mean here it is basically what you know 40 years between you know you having being prosecuted for uh what you've done and then last year we had you know Brokeback mountain with eight academy award nominations right it, it, it's, <laughs> a big,
2: it's a fun. big jump uh, it was a big jump. In the, I said in the, in the years, let's say the 10 years leading up to 1966, there were maybe two dozen, three dozen gay novels. Uh, in the 10 years following that, there were some say as many as 10,000. And that oh, wow. uh, that was uh, largely due to uh, uh, Earl Kent and Greenleaf Classics. Um, of course, once they started publishing these books and making money, then a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon. Uh, and, and there, was, there were just thousands and thousands of them coming out but it was not just the numbers it was that they, they had changed you could, you could go into a bookstore, a paperback bookstore and buy gay novels, you could buy mysteries you could buy uh, fantasy, sci-fi, romance books with happy endings, and funny books uh, pretty much everything the whole gamut of, of, of uh, writing genres and that really was the revolution
3: right that's a good jumping off point um talk about uh, genres and how the you know the orientation uh, works into that
2: oh uh, you mean the gay orientation or yeah uh, you know i don't uh i don't much think about that when i write today of course again you've got to understand i've been doing this a long time i do a lot of my writing kind of on automatic pilot uh, uh, i let Stories come to me, stories and novels, and they kind of dictate genre. I mean, I did something recently called uh, Drag Thing. Uh, Drag Thing is a spoof of the superhero, mutant uh, New- superhero genre, and ostensibly, you you would think it's a gay novel, but it isn't. The protagonist is straight. Hmm. Uh, it's the, you know, the, the secret formula. He acts. Accidentally gets injected with a secret formula and turns into this monstrous, oversized drag creature. He has a secret desire to, to, to wear a dress, and his cop wife <laughs> secretly desires to see him in a dress, but they've neither of them discussed this. Uh, and uh, so it's more a gender bender than it is anything. Of course, there are plenty of drag, uh, plenty of gay characters in it, but um, I, I don't necessarily sit down to write a gay or a straight novel. I just, just comes into my head, and more often than not, it's characters, and then I just go with it, if that makes
0: sense. So, uh, Victor, at one time, I think it was uh, thought of, and maybe this is back in the uh, early writings in the 60s and 70s, that gay lesbian books were basically erotic, rather than, you know, just a story of a mystery or you know, something that's fiction, a fantasy, sci-fi, or a novel, or whatever, and it just seems to me that, and I'd like you to clarify that, too, that, you know, that it was thought that they were erotic, or that there'd be raging queens in it, but from what I understand, it's really not the case.
2: Well, uh, initially, uh, to a certain extent, it was more so with uh, the gay male stuff than lesbian stuff. Uh, My friend Anne Bannon, who was really the queen of lesbian fiction, uh, talked about this when we were together at one event. Uh, a lot of the lesbian books of the, the 50s and early 60s were written by men, for men, and you could kind of tell the difference because the books written by men went from orgasm to, to, to orgasm to orgasm, and the ones written by women uh, had more romance in them. Uh, but the gay male books, generally speaking, did have sex, not always uh and uh but they but in those early days they had real stories too and um what kind of happened was that uh, eventually the government managed to put most of those publishers out of business and the new york publishing houses took over the gay genre and made it much more literary and they kind of took out the sex uh so they wouldn't to make themselves look better and um Gay men tend to stop buying those books and turned more to just playing hardcore erotica. So you've got today that... Today there's an attempt to get back to writing novels for gay men that have the story, that read well, and that have the erotic content in them as well. Most gay men want a certain amount of erotic content.
3: Let's talk about uh, writing techniques. What are some of the techniques that you use to keep the writing fresh and, you know, avoid writing writer's block and, and things like that?
2: Well, obviously, with all those novels, I don't suffer much from writer's block. <laughs> but, not. Uh, as, as I said, I, I tend to write uh, now a lot on, on automatic pilot. I, uh, I tend to um, wait until the characters have come to life for me. I'm very big on characterization um, and... Um, uh, the characters can become so real. I wrote a cowboy novel called Longhorns, and uh, which, by the way, got picked as Best Gay Romance of the Year on AfterElton.com. Um,
3: <laughs>
2: and um, I wrote it in two weeks, but it was two weeks of total immersion in the novel. Uh, I was like a zombie. Uh, these guys, I, I lay in bed at the night trying to sleep and listening to them argue, and I would they follow me around the house talking. Uh, there's a cattle stampede in the book, and one, one night during those two weeks, we had a lightning storm, and I sat up in bed, and I said, oh, no, the cattle are going to stampede. Of course, I don't have any cattle. I'm in the middle of it. <laughs> I called a friend the next day. I said, hey, do you still have that spare bedroom? Do you think we could pad it? Because I think I'm going to need it. <laughs> but uh, So... So I, do, I, I basically start with the characters um, and the situation, and then I kind of let the characters write the book for me and tell me what to do. But I, I, I do, I'm probably not the best one to be advising young writers about things, because, yes, I do think it's important to learn the craft, but it's like learning to drive. When you first learn to drive a car, you have to think about clutches and brakes and gears and this and that, turn signal. And then you get to the point where all of that is automatic, and you just drive without thinking about it. So I, I do tell writers, yes, learn the craft, learn the grammar, all of that, and then learn it to where you don't have to think about it. Uh, somebody, I remember somebody once asked Picasso why he was so successful and other abstract artists weren't, and he said, it's very simple, I learned to, to draw first. <laughs> So I, so I basically, I, 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 there was a time, of course, I worked very conscientiously about on craft and technique. But I nowadays, I'm more concerned with getting me out of the way.
3: Oh, yeah, right. So, I mean, you probably started, did you start in longhand and then go to the typewriter and then the word processor. No,
2: I, I started on the typewriter. I wish I could write longhand because I'm, I've always been a big fan of Mr. Mom's. And of course, he wrote everything longhand. But then i would seen pictures of him when he was older, and his hands were so hard from writer writers cramp. Um, I uh, but I can't I can't write fast enough to keep up with the thought. Yeah. And um, I, and if I try writing fast enough, I can't read it anyway. <laughs> so so no, I started as a typewriter. And I have to say, I started initially thinking of it as a business, as a job. And so I really early on trained myself to the discipline of treating it as if it were a job. I I had a partner. He would go off to work at the bank. I would sit down at my little typewriter in a little cubbyhole off the bedroom, and I would basically just start at 8 o'clock, and I would take a lunch break, and I would work and work until the end of the day. So I did those old paperback novels that I did, the gay novels. Most of them were written in four and five days. Hmm. Of course, I didn't do a lot of rewriting or policy. Then as I got further along, and the gay genre had begun to fade, and it, it, you weren't making as much money, and I began writing uh, gothic romances, women's novels, and of course, obviously, I had to put more time into them because I was writing these now for more important uh, New York uh, publishing houses. And then I went into historical fiction. Again, it took more time. You have to do the research and the and, uh, so I had, a, I had a long apprenticeship graduating from one step to the next so that by the time I, as I where I've got to write and now I don't think much about things like the technical things like point of view and, uh, uh, first or third person or, or what have you. I do think about that when I'm working with other writers. I do sometimes, if I run across a writer who I think is talented, sometimes I will. Take time to tutor them. I just worked with a writer from one of my writers' groups on his first novel because I thought it was very promising and I thought he had a great deal of talent. So then I have to go back and think again about technique. Alan, you you do this because you don't do this because. And it's good for me because it's like a refresher course, also. But myself, when I'm writing that, not not so much.
3: Did you uh, have a. An editor or proofer that it was became like your mentor at some point, or were you really just self-made.
2: Well, I, I, was pretty much self-taught. I always wanted to, I always said I always, I wanted to learn how to write, you know, go to one of those fancy writing conferences or classes or whatever, John Gardner. <laughs> but I never got to do that. I, I really was pretty much self-taught. But at every major advance in my career, uh, it was influenced by an editor. I was very lucky to work with good editors. My editor on those first novels, Earl Kemp, he and I are still good friends. He lives in Arizona and, uh, in fact I'm going to be seeing him in a couple of weeks I'm going out to California for a book show Uh, and uh, several of the editors that i worked with did become close friends Uh, I like working with a good editor I don't take a lot of uh, guff anymore from editors I don't like editors to tell me how to write a book I'll take line suggestions but once I send them a story that's pretty much my story I'm not going to rewrite it into your story but I can afford to do that because I'm at a point in my life. It doesn't matter greatly if I get another book sold.
3: Right. That's <laughs> your story I, I, and you're sticking I, to I, it. I,
2: I kind of have the luxury of the, when I, I dropped out of writing for a number of years. When I came back, I decided I was going to just write what I wanted to write, how I wanted to write it. And that's pretty much what I do. I, I sent out a, a novel uh, uh, some while back and uh, the editor sent me an email and she wanted to buy it, but she wanted... This changed and that changed. The funny thing was her email was so ungrammatical, I thought, I don't want to put myself in this woman's hands. It's terrible. But uh, I thought, no, you know, this is my book. If you want to write something else, you go write your own. And I, of course, placed it somewhere else. I don't have any problem with getting books placed. I, I, there's always somebody waiting.
3: Yeah. Uh, I'm just a little curious about your hiatus. Did you uh, eventually run into burnout, or was it just you decided you know to take it well
2: i think it looking back on it i think it was burnout i had um an odd succession of uh, two different major battles with with publishers and uh i was very angry and i finally thought okay Victor. one day i was beating on my typewriter and i thought now, victor you started doing this because you love doing it If it's (laughs) going to make you unhappy why did you quit and I did, I, I, I quit writing for publishing. I never stopped for writing. I just stopped worrying about publishing. Uh, but uh, one of the, I had an editor at uh, Arbor House Books, Hearst Corporation, who uh, took one of my manuscripts. I didn't find out until we were at the galleys that he had done a
3: complete
2: rewrite on it. I mean, about a third of the book.
3: Oh, and
2: uh, I, I wrote him and called him. I said, oh, Bill, you know, please, some of this is awful. At least let's change these three scenes, and I thought we'd agreed to that, and um, the book came out, and it was exactly as he had written it, but by that time, I'd already gotten a review in Kirkus ridiculing one of the scenes he had written in the book, <laughs> and needless <laughs> to say, I was furious, <laughs> and what are you going to do? I can't write them and say, well, I didn't write this, my name's on the cover, yes. so I, I just did that, and it left me very angry, and so I thought, oh, well, I'm just going to drop out of it for a while, but of course you can't, if you're a writer, you can't stop And eventually, uh, people started tracking me down because of these old gay things. And and, uh, I found my name popping up in histories of the era and what have you. And to the extent, you know, there you are writing again.
3: Wow. So a lot of changes have happened in the marketplace um, in terms of of print runs and so on. And and can you comment on on how that works? I mean, I hear that the print runs are a lot smaller than they are today because they're always testing the waters.
2: They, they are much smaller, and especially in, in gay and lesbian fiction. When I was writing for those paperback publishers in the 60s, uh, an average print run would have been 40 or 50,000 copies, and uh, my yeah. books often uh, almost all invariably sold those out, many of them uh, two print runs, three print runs. Today, yeah. a, a, a gay novel is a bestseller if it sells 3,000, 4,000 copies. So it's, it's, it's quite different. Uh, publishing it really is, is night and day. Night and day. When I was working at it 40 years ago, uh, publishers they weren't all yet owned by the conglomerates, and there was a certain yeah. respect for uh, just for the art of writing. And uh, if you, if, if an editor might take you on just because they liked your work, and keep you on as long as you, in effect, paid your rent today there's uh, a lot of houses have what they call uh, the rule six twelve if you If your book doesn 't sell six thousand copies in any twelve month period you 're out the door doesn 't matter whether they like you oh. or not. Most publishing houses today the editors don 't even get to decide uh, it's that 's up to the salespeople. They do a projection and say okay. how many copies they think a book can sell now that 's not true I, Most of what I write today I do for small independent publishing houses because i prefer that and it's it's much more like the old-fashioned way and you you have a more friendlier closer relationship with your editor and your publisher and that works for me uh of course i don't have that desire to 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 hit the new york times bestseller list or make a million dollars or blah 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 and, but, it, but it's much harder today for writers and I, I feel very sorry for for young writers starting out it's much harder today to get in those doors of the big houses and the big agencies there's so many people writing and they they they, they take a very uh, disdainful attitude towards writers
0: well I can see that that's for sure Victor and uh, I have um, I need to talk to you about what you feel or some uh, direction that you can give we are as you know, represent authors and we send out galleys to uh, potential reviewers and so on. And I had a um, an author that sent uh, we were sending out galleys through a publicist and so on. And all the information came in, the synopsis and so on. And there was no disclosure that there were lesbian characters in the book. And I didn't read the galley myself. I just can't read them all. But I... Yeah. So what I did is I sent out the synopsis, I got a lot of people that were interested in reading the book, and then all of a sudden the reviews started coming in, and they were trashing the book because, surprise, there are lesbian characters in the book, and these people are not interested in reading that. They They were under the impression that they were going to get a mystery, which of course it was a mystery, however, the characters were not disclosed, and the author was extremely upset because all these reviews kept coming in from people that just really trashed it because of that. And
2: that, That's interesting. I don't, most, one, of the hard, one of the things that makes it harder in television series and in and, and movies and, and, of course, in mainstream books, I think, Suzanne Brockman, who is a best-selling uh, uh, mystery writer, uh, has a, an ongoing gay character in, in her books now. Um, so i 'm surprised that but but uh I, I, and i don 't really know what quite what to say about that. It is harder for lesbian writers than it is for gay male writers and i 'm not quite sure why but um um I think gay characters people think of them more uh, there's a there 's a stereotype that you see in these t v shows, the movies and whatever, and they tend to be more humorous, and I think people just don 't see lesbians as humorous. Does that make any sense
0: it does. It does. Yeah. It was just upset with the fact that there were lesbian characters in there, and that just, you know, was against the belief system, and it, right. it was amazing I- that
2: I, I do short stories mm-hmm. oh a year or so ago i did a lesbian short story it was just an idea that came to me and i started looking around for you know something i'm very lackadaisical about sending stuff out especially short stories i do them just more for fun and then very very few there are a lot for short stories in gay fiction but there's almost nothing and i felt guilty i didn't even want to i was going to send this to an anthology and i thought well no those women don't have a lot of outlets, and maybe I'd better just keep my nose out of it, you know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad, but uh, I, I don't know what the answer is to that, really. Yeah. I guess they'll, they'll be mainstreamed eventually, too.
0: I think I they think, will be, but I think right yeah. now, I think it's still important that if there is, let's say, you know, lesbian characters in the book, that they should be disclosed. It's no different than if there are some you know, religious connotations, that should be discussed yeah. too. So, uh,
2: uh, it's interesting, and one of the things that, that is, is discussed now on gay writing sites is that um, much of the, the gay male-on-male on, male on male fiction that's being written is being written by women, and women now are a very large uh, segment of the, the, the buying population for those books. But those same women probably would be less comfortable reading about lesbian characters. There are many straight women who, who get very turned on. I was surprised Longhorns, the big audience for Longhorns here in Martinsburg, West Virginia, was middle-aged straight women.
3: Interesting.
2: I mean, it really really blew me away. Wow. But then I came down to say, MLR Press, which is one of the small presses that, that I'm writing for now, it's owned by a woman, a straight woman, and her explanation is she likes men and she likes sex and she just loves the combination of the two.
0: <laughs> well, hey, if that's what works, that's great. <laughs> that's but true. I do
2: know that I talked to a woman here in Martinsburg who, who founded one of the big e-book companies, and at the moment I think, I'm not sure, I think it may have been Changeling Press, and she explained to me that, that they have a lot of gay fiction e-books, uh, and they're very popular with their women customers, but only the ones written by women, that they have a couple of gay men writing for them, and their books didn't do as well.
3: Interesting. So there's like a subgenre there, or something. <laughs> right,
2: yeah. Uh, and you know, it's, it's something, by the way, that, I, that, I, that I, I find interesting, is I have a hard time writing for those people now, because I really don't, I can't sit down and say, I'm going to write an erotic story or novel, If it works, uh, Longhorns has some fairly strong sexual content, but only because it worked with the the story and the cowboys, the characters. Uh, I I wrote another novel called Angel Land that's coming out in the fall, and I had an editor want me to spice up some of the scenes, and I couldn't do it. It didn't work with the characters. It wasn't true.
3: Yeah, yeah, you can't just, like, manufacture it into that.
2: I can't. I, Um, I think people can.
3: yeah. You mentioned e-books, and we were talking with somebody last week who said that there was a huge interest in, in e-books in this romance erotica genre. Do you, have you been seeing that as well?
2: Well, I, um, I only have one experience. I did a, a novel, and in fact, I did a kind of thinking of e-book, and it, a straight novel called Slow Dance, and it is sexually pretty explicit. Uh, again, it worked with the story and with the characters. but That's my only real experience. I've, I've uh, uh, coached a couple of writers uh, who did, uh, were successful in getting e published. It is, I think, it, you know, five, seven years ago, this was the future of publishing. It hasn't caught on that way, but it is a growing market, and um, I think most of those publishers do want explicit sexual content. Things that that would have been far stronger than what I wrote back in the days when I was writing sexy paperbacks. That's
3: funny. Uh, How has the role of of agents changed over the years, and what does it mean today?
2: Well, again, today you have so few of those big publishing houses in New York City. uh, I mean, I I think they're down now. What, six or seven uh, big houses, uh, and you almost have to have uh, an agent to get you know to any of those editors so it's actually the the struggle today is to get an agent not so much to get an editor i i had an odd situation i did have agents in new york for many many years of uh, george and olga weezer at weezer and weezer inc but george died and olga retired and the gentleman who took over the agency didn't want to handle gay material and so I kind of just dropped him. I thought, well, what's the point of my having him if I'm going to have to sell half my books myself? Um, But I couldn't uh, uh, sell to those big houses in New York again. I'm I'm working mostly with small independent uh, operations. Uh, I did long horns for an outfit called Carol and Groff. That was a pretty big house, but Carol and Groff got gobbled up in that Perseus book takeover, Uh, May Their Names Be Cursed for a Thousand Years, and uh, my book suffered for it because it was about the time my book was coming out and all kinds of publicity things that were planned got dropped by the wayside and what have you. It, it's done well anyway. It's gone back to second printing. But, uh, but, but that was, that, that was a, a, a fairly major house that uh, you could go to uh, without having an agent, and, and that's gone now. Hayworth Books uh, uh, is uh, out of the fiction field. That's another... It's, been, it's not been a good year for, for gay publishing. We've lost a lot of, of outlets.
3: Yeah. I was just kind of wondering, is there uh, an element of, of political gay writing, you know, with with all of the, the business about, you know, trying to get equal rights and so on? Do you see that? Um,
2: I think probably there is more of that with the big houses who do the occasional... Gay themed book. I think most of the houses that are that are having any success reads, you know, uh, yes. mysteries, cowboy, have you? But, but I mean, they
0: Victor, are authors uh, possibly forums or groups that they can actually get hooked up with to get more direction? Oh, there are a
2: number of uh, writing groups online. I'm in. Uh, there are, uh, of course, uh, newsletters and groups. that so I'm trying to think. There's one called. Um, oh, there's a, group in a newsletter, a group in a library in Milwaukee. I can't think of the name of it. There are a lot of individual groups around and a lot of
0: things on the Internet. Well, that's great to hear because then the writers that are just wanting to come into the realm, right, have actually a lot of sources that they can pull from.
3: Right. Gay Writers,
2: Readers on Yahoo Groups is a mm-hmm. very supportive group. It's a small group. I think they're probably... Probably fewer than a hundred members now, uh, but there 's a good cross section of uh, uh, straight gay readers, writers, uh, men, women, and a number of, of well established uh, gay writers and uh, it 's a good place new writers, young writers come in, and they get a lot of support and encouragement and advice
0: oh that 's great Well, gosh, Victor, this has been really great to have you on our show and you have. You We're know, done already. Yeah, I know. And you know, you've Sorry. been you've been writing for such a long time that you have so much knowledge to share. And I'm glad to hear that they can actually probably get some of this knowledge from you on these writers' groups. So, Victor, tell our audience again what your um, website address is.
2: Uh, it's uh, www.vjbaliff.com. And uh, if I can throw in one piece of advice.
1: For writers,
2: because writers are always saying, give us some advice, give us some advice. My first, number one advice to writers is always have fun. Uh, Most people live one life, and they only scratch the surface of that, but, but writing is a magic carpet. You can be anything. You can be a courtesan. You can be a pirate. You can be an astronaut. And I tell them, if you're not living these lives when you're writing about them, you're not doing it right.
0: Oh, what great advice. So that, that gets, you know,
2: everybody has wonderful advice, like learn your characterizations, do this, do that. But having fun gets lost. I love writing. I, I stayed drunk on the magic.
0: <laughs> How fun is that? <laughs> Gosh, again. I'm like a old
2: racehorse. I get up in the morning, I have my coffee, I do the crossword, and by the time I'm halfway through a bowl of cereal, I'm gobbling it down so I can get to the computer. Oh, writing
0: that's great. That's that's passion for writing. That is passion for writing. Again, thanks a lot, Victor, for showing up for us. And All you know, right, thank you. Intent. Now, will this be?
2: I, I you should have to put this on the stage. Is this going to be on the radio? Is this going to be online? Where where will I tell people to go to hear this?
0: I will. I'll call you shortly here after we hang up. What we're going to do is note tour right now, and then I'll call you. So just don't hang okay, okay, up until thanks. we're finished, and we'll say goodnight, and then I will phone you at your uh, the phone number I have for you. Okay, thanks.
3: Okay, everyone, you've been listening to another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. We'll be back on the air March twentieth, two 2008, on our new schedule, when our topic will be Spotting Predators in the Publishing World. And our guest who will be joining us is Dave Kuzminski. You can learn more about our, all our guests on the Authors Access website, which is AuthorsAccess.com. We would love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at AuthorsAccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Human Trust.
0: And for Read Views, this is Irene Watson in Austin, Texas saying night.
3: The Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.